0: Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I have as my guest someone I'm delighted to introduce, Simon Leslie. Simon has built up a fabulous business called Inc. over the last 26 years. He has helped thousands of uh, people to achieve their goals. And uh, he's someone who's gone through an incredibly tough time during COVID. Uh, So we're going to explore how you build up a business, the things that get in the way, the head trash that you have to deal with, how you have to adapt. And we're also going to explore resilience because he's clearly demonstrated that. Simon, welcome.
1: Thank you very much for having me. What a lovely introduction.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. So, Simon, would you mind giving the audience 60 seconds on your background and tell us a little bit about your fabulous book, There Is No F in Sales?
1: Well, I think it's long enough. <laughs> it's long enough to cap to capture all the spirit of of the things that I've done. I started out in business because I didn't want to work for anybody else. I okay. did a few a few years selling door-to-door insurance, and I quite liked my bosses. I thought they were quite cool dudes, and I wanted to be my own boss. And I tried various different ventures from real estate to fabrics, and finally I landed in in publishing, and that was in about 1990. I lost three businesses or failed, three businesses failed before I started this one, so it was the last attempt. My father said, get a proper job, stop messing around. And 26 years later, we're still going. And we've overcome everything. We've overcome 9-11. We've overcome SARS. We've overcome ash clouds and, and the financial crisis and the, and the next crisis and our own crises. And then along comes this little virus in 2020 and gives us a proper good kicking. So to put this into context, Inc.
0: publishes in-flight magazines Thinking about 9-11, uh, volcanoes, and uh, COVID, you can imagine the kind of pressure that poor old Simon has gone through. What inspired you to write There Is No F in Sales?
1: I mean, I, I think it was just frustrated that that people were not talking about us. We were probably one of the fastest-growing publishers in the UK, probably the biggest publisher at one point in the UK. And nobody was giving us any airtime or any respect for some of the things we'd done. We were always sort of seen as this sort of Weird offshoot that dealt with magazines, and everybody kept saying magazines are going to die, they're going to die, they're going to die. Every iteration of those those events, you know, this is the end of Prince is dead, and we kept defying that. and And whilst today we're 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 not just we're not just magazines, we are we're we're the company that an airline calls when they want to either inspire their audience or or generate some ancillary revenue.
0: In your forward. One of the things that jumped out is you're always going to have shit days. So tell me how you prepare yourself for the inevitability of um, being
1: slapped in the head. (laughs) You know, a lot's moved on since I wrote that book. I wrote that book about a year ago, and I never thought the title would be so appropriate as it is today. You know, this year we went from 100 and we were on track for 150 million, and Most days, there was no sales. We lost 90% of our revenue um, through through to September. And we're starting to to recover now. I I wrote a little letter to myself, and I said, by December, we'll be back in profit. So I've got two weeks left to, to make that letter come true. In answer to the question, I don't believe in good, bad, or any of these things, because we don't really know if it really is a shit day, or if it's just a day where you're you're learning and growing and these shit things are just teaching you how to adapt and how to improve. So I don't like to label things. I don't like to give labels to anything.
0: Okay. So one of the themes that came through in the book is about uh, creating routines. Uh, so talk to me about that.
1: And I think discipline is so important. I think you've got to be honorable with yourself. Too many, especially salespeople... They'll lie to themselves. Mm. Let's start in January and we'll start saying, we'll start telling ourselves all these um, resolutions that we're going to break within the first three or four hours or three or four days. Um, So that's your first, there's your first protocol. Stop lying to yourself. Stop telling yourself things that you can't fulfill or do. And stop giving yourself, stop living too far in the present, in the future, that you can't deliver it. You know, most people are either fucked off with their past or worrying about their future and not actually living anywhere. And that that's a bit that I try and help people with. Try and get them out of this. I don't like using the word trying either. Get them out of this This place of living nowhere.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So what are the blind spots that you found yourself falling into or falling foul of?
1: Listen, when you're dealing with people, you have people issues all the time. <laughs> And I've encountered every single people issue, you know, people's parents dying multiple times, people not turning up, people being, you know, being so sick and, and, and you see them on the TV at a football match. And it's like, you know, who are you going to lie to? You know, you're not letting me down. You're letting yourself down. And so the biggest issue is people. And that's people who come people, you know, you recruit them, you hire them, you trade them, you make them brilliant. Some of them stay, some of them leave. Some of them are nice about you when they leave. Some of them are pretty critical and harsh about you when you leave. And everybody knows how to run a business better than you do. Absolutely. And then they end up
0: setting up in competition, or they, uh, in, often they can be collaborators.
1: There's been a few people who've who've gone, up, gone out on their own and really succeeded, and I support them. They phone me and ask me for advice, and I help them as much as I can. And there are people who just... I look up and down LinkedIn and they're on their 12th job since they left me. So maybe I wasn't the biggest problem and maybe they they need to look in the mirror a little bit more.
0: (laughs) And so talk to me about, uh, there's a chapter in the book, which I really like, which is that success is driven by belief. Talk to me about the beliefs that you have that have helped you achieve the kind of uh, growth and scale that you have.
1: Belief is such is such a powerful word for me, and 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 that's been my mantra all along. You know, until you know how to do things, until you become competent, you have to borrow somebody else's. And and I and most of this year, I spent the year telling people that if they didn't have enough confidence, belief, confidence, luck, they could borrow some of mine. Because because right now I've got I'm um, I'm I'm bursting with all of those things. I believe. Despite what's gone on, I believe it's been a fantastic year, both for me personally and for me as the Guardian of Ink, even with everything that's gone on. And we can talk a little bit about that as well, because in some ways it's been a story of resilience this year, of dealing with every single one of these kicks. And I'm starting to document it now in a book of 2020 of all the things that we've overcome. And every time we thought we could see the light at the end of the tunnel, we realized it was a train coming the other way and it was just it was just <laughs> one, one fire after the other
0: <laughs> i like that i should be stealing that
1: but the belief the big thing is is just confidence and i've heard so many great stories of people who have said you are a reflection of the people you spend the most amount of time with sometimes you can't spend them out, you can't spend time with those people some of them are dead some of them you know have written amazing stuff but they're no longer here but you can spend time with them. You can read their books. You can listen to their podcasts. You can listen to their audios. You can you can embrace them. And and you know one of the examples was I don't know two weeks ago I was sat with Jordan Belfort, and I said to him, when your film came out, people kept phoning me and telling me that someone had made a made a program about our our sales floor. and you know and I read all your stuff and I did all your stuff and then next thing I realised I'm sitting in your house having coffee with you and it is surreal, and I've heard lots of stories of this, is that if you if you spend enough time and you're invested in yourself with, with people who are going to improve you, both in person and through if you can't be in person, that's how you personally improve. And that's where the belief comes from and the confidence comes from.
0: One of the things I really liked in the book is that you talk about Time management being complete bullshit, um, and uh, what you need to do is identify how much time you're wasting, and uh, really focus your attention on what it is that you are doing with the time available. Talk to me about that.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because yesterday I was having a a coaching session, and he said, "You know, you wrote this piece last week on LinkedIn," and I said, "Yeah." And she goes. You don't know how powerful that is. How many people I've shared that with. And I went, really? Because you don't know how many people that's helping. I mean, the piece was about the fact that I went to America and I just got on with it. and and I, I, knew, I knew what was going on and and the conditions, but i I took a decision to just get on with life and not get cowed down by the by the headlines and the and the news reporting. And he said, I've shared that with probably twenty or thirty people in big organizations. Who found that incredibly helpful? And I said, unless you tell me that, I've I've got no idea. And I, I and the, the reason is this links to time. Is that he said, you know, when you're going to write the next one? I said, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't got the time to do it. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm filling gaps of things. He goes, that's the title of the next podcast. Fill in the gaps, you know, wasting your time. You know, what are you wasting time on when you can be doing something which is really helping people? And I, and I think that's a really important message, especially you know when we're having this conversation. Someone is going to listen to this. I'm going to share it. You're going to share it, and someone somewhere in, you know, Azerbaijan, for all I know, will listen to this and go, "Wow, that one thing that you said just helped me." And I think that's what's so powerful about what we do. And and that's why you know not wasting your time, not using time, you know, on on two three dollar tasks, is uh, is really important. What you say no to is more
0: important than what you say yes to. Um, if you do not block your calendar out and stick with a rigorous discipline uh, to uh, the high priority, high value activities, you will get sucked into pointless activities. I mean, I interviewed a guy called Paul Mort, and He made the point that procrastination is a choice. You're deciding that you would prefer to look at kitten videos than make your prospecting calls. And so often, you hear people make excuses. I'm going to use a concrete real-life example here. One of my guests on the podcast is a lady called Caroline Pino, and she is the superwoman of sales. In January of 2020, she was diagnosed with bowel cancer. She just started her new job at a company called Spunk in January, and she was on training. She felt sick, went to the hospital, and got diagnosed with cancer. She's been on chemo all year. Her energy levels are massively reduced. In the end of October, she was tracking at 300% of target. And I asked her, so um, what are you going to do for the rest of the year? She said, well, the year's not over. This is with about two to two and a half hours of available time to do her job. So any of you who are out there saying, oh, I don't have time, That is a crock of complete horseshit. You do have time, but you have to make it by prioritizing, by focusing on the high-value activities, and by saying no to the extraneous stuff. Through the chemo, she's clear now, uh, which is a huge relief. But make sure you listen to that interview. Uh, It's called The Impossible Saleswoman. And I'll put uh, a link on this in the blurb so that the rest of you can listen to that as well. Because what Simon is saying is really important. Time is finite. It's the most valuable commodity that you have. And if you misuse it, that is a crime. It's a sin against all that is good in life. And do not waste your time being a busy idiot, of which there
1: are an awful lot of them about. And this year has been a year where everyone's had time you know everybody was on a pause for four months so no one got ahead of anybody everyone then everyone went back (laughs) (laughs) but it really was a year of you know you had time to reflect you know something that we'd all been craving or certainly i've been craving which was you know i could do with six months off i could just six months just to think about everything and there you go god gave it me and here we we're dealing with it and you know how much of it did i waste and how much did i Give up, some of it was really valuable. And I think thinking time, which was something I picked up from um, The Road Less Cunningham.
0: Stupid. Yeah. Keith Road Less C- Stupid, fabulous C- book.
1: That really helped me this year. Really did. I really did find that useful. And I made sure that all my senior team were, we, we all read it and realized that how much, how much simple, how many simple things we weren't doing right.
0: This is so important. And again, I mean, a simple rule in life to succeed is do the basics well, consistently over time and mean it. And this is where people, in my experience, go wrong because they try and complicate things. They try and become sophisticated. Business is not really that difficult. The difficulty is when we get in our own way. Yes, there is complexity, but you don't need to complicate things. Focus on the simplest solution. Identify what it is that you can pare out and uh, remove so that you stop wasting your time on needless activity. Eliminate the interruptions to your day. Learn how to say no gracefully. If you're in management, one of the most important lessons that I teach uh, people that I work with is how to say no gracefully. And it goes something like this. Simon, this sounds important. Unfortunately, I can't give you my full attention now. Why don't you come back and then look at your clock and add three and a half hours? I can give you 17 minutes. So give them uh, an odd number. I can give you 17 minutes at three uh, 3.15. Now, between now and then, what I'd like you to do is go away, write down what the problem is, the three things that you've tried to do to fix it yourself and then come back to me with the lessons from why they didn't work and the one question you want me to help you to resolve. 98% of those problems disappear,
1: and the people who you pay to do the uh, fixing, fix them themselves. How many meetings start at 8 o'clock and run through till 9 o'clock? And most times, we'll go on till 9. They'll go on to 5 past 9. And it's like, so one of my friends said to me, he says, right, what you need to do is start meetings at 8.13. Yep. 8.13 just happens to be my wife's birthday, but 8.13... And you stand up, and you have a very very tight agenda, and it's 17 minute meeting or 12 minute meetings. It finishes at 8:29, and everybody knows they need to be there in that meeting at that time. And, and just simple little tweaks to, to meetings like that just make. And because everyone knows they need to do it, that no one can no one can miss that meeting, even if unless they're on holiday, right? And, and or, dead. or dead. And everybody knows what they need to do every single day, and you set the day up for. You know, I, I, you know, running a sales floor is like running a football team. You meet before the match. You have a pre-match warm-up. You might have little chats during the day, during the game. You're shouting from the sidelines. You meet at halftime, and you have a half time team talk and say, what are we going to do differently in the second half? And then you come out, and then you evaluate what you did during the day. What did we do well? What did we do badly? Who played well? Who didn't do what they needed to do? What are we going to do better tomorrow?
0: There's a really simple mantra here which is the task expands to the time allotted. If you give a meeting an hour, it will take an hour or longer. If you give it 12 minutes, it will take 12 minutes. So be really ruthless in how you allocate time. And I always teach people this one lesson. So Simon, answer me this question. How long are you dead for? Forever. Exactly. How long have you got left on this planet? Even though no like- <laughs> But in all probability, it's not another 50 years.
1: Uh, Modern medicine, maybe 40.
0: Maybe 40. (laughs) How quickly has the last 50 gone?
1: Very quickly. Very quickly. How much
0: of the remaining blink of an eye that you have left on this planet? You want to piss away on pointless meetings, spend it with penny-pinching, tight-ass non-prospects who are trying to steal your ideas. Waste your
1: time. Um, unpaid we- consultants. Uh, consultants, absolutely. <laughs> I, w- I don't want to be an unpaid consultant for anybody. No, but you know, forever is a long time as well. That was something that someone told me when I was on my trip in the States. And I just thought, that's a beautiful line because even though I've been doing this for 30 years, there's another 30 years of this to go. And I want to make sure the next 30 years are as exciting as the last 30 years. And I'm still able to operate at the same level. I have a lot of young people that work in the organization. I reckon on most days, I've got more energy than most of them put together. Why? Because I look after myself. I look after my health. I'm not the fittest specimen on the planet, but I'm fitter than most people. And I do. I put a lot of good stuff into my body to make sure that I've got the energy and the confidence to be able to deal with any situation. And that's why, in some ways, I feel like I've taken this year in my stride. It is 9/11, Eight two thousand twelve, and you know I can talk about two thousand fifteen, which was my own catastrophe. Combine those together; they were easier than all of this. <laughs> so, one of the things that you talk about in the book is uh, having
0: mentors. Uh, who, who's inspired you, and who have you really tried to emulate?
1: I don't think there's one person. I mean, what what was beautiful about this year is that I realised that I, there was there was not a lot I could do. The engines were switched off the planes, the planes were parked. people were not traveling. Our advertiser base is a lot of small and medium sized enterprises, most of them were told to shut down, and while there's nobody traveling, we can't make any money. and that was something we never experienced before because you know even through all the other things, the airlines just dropped the prices and people traveled. so we always we always made money all the way through you know, all the various crises, we made money. This was the first time where we just had zero control. So the only thing I could do was think about, how do I keep these people engaged? How do I keep these staff on the top of their game? Because they're going to be out for three to six months, that's what we thought at the beginning, three to six months. So I started ringing around and asking people to come in and talk to my team. And in the end, I organized about 45 different talks from people from Tim Grover, who was the coach, to uh, Michael Jordan Tim Story, Brad Lee, from the first female helicopter pi- Apache pilot to Alice Levine, who climbed Everest. I had health and well-being gurus. I had Chris Voss, who was the uh, ultimate negotiator, and Jordan Belfort, and and they all came in and they talked about how they were dealing with the situation, how we could come out of this better, how we could look back on 2020 and and be proud of ourselves, and that helped me. That really helped me because. You know, every one of those conversations gave me more and more confidence, more and more ammunition. I love sales. I love everybody who's connected to sales. Anybody who's ever written a piece on sales, I've read it, I'm sure. But I've gone through phases. You know, once upon a time, I would have liked something that Grant Cardone had written or Tony Tony Robbins or Zig Ziglar. You know, as you go through the generations, there are different people who appear who, who have a message. And they and For me, it's just constant, never-ending learning. This is really interesting as well. And talk to me about the kind of
0: internal dialogue that you run. What's the inner voice talking about? What's the tone? How do you manage that internal conversation?
1: I have a very simple line, which is that I'm going to suffer. And I don't want to suffer if I don't like things the way they are. (laughs) Go on. And, and and that's it so I don't want to suffer so you know it, whatever the situation is I'm I'm okay I can live with it and when I'm looking at a new situation what's the downside what's the upside can I live with the downside yeah that's fine that came out of, um, out of Keith's book but for me it's I'm happy where I am I'm not dissatisfied you know the problem with most people is that they're searching for happiness probably not searching for happiness is happiness The absence of the search for happiness is probably true happiness, being happy where you are, who you are as a human being. And I think that's what I've managed to live by. That is, I am enough. I'm enough of a human being. I've achieved lots. That doesn't mean I don't want to achieve more, but I'm not in, not in constant fight with myself that this is, here's a better example. This has been a year of not enough. I haven't got enough money. I haven't got enough opportunity. I haven't got enough chance to speak to my clients. I'm not thin enough. I'm too, I'm not good looking enough. I haven't got this enough. And the most important one is I'm not good enough. And people have stopped appreciating, stopped appreciating what they had and and more focused on what they didn't have.
0: One of the best, uh, and I think my greatest takeaway from my last 17 years was the lesson that you will only perform to the level that your self-concept will allow. And yep. your inner dialogue, your how you perceive yourself conceptually will determine what you do, how you think, how you act, the questions you ask yourself. And I know in the book, you talk about, you know, if you want better answers, you have to ask yourself better questions. And for me, that has been a huge Area for me to improve because I, I'm never totally satisfied with my performance. But I am constantly asking myself questions that stretch me, that challenge me, because I fundamentally believe that whilst it may be beyond my uh, uh, my, my intended outcomes, may be beyond my reach currently, they're not beyond my grasp, and I have to find a way. Now, one of the thing, biggest lessons that I've learned is that the more i learn to collaborate the more likely i am to be able to achieve my objectives so talk to me about the collaborations that you've had in your career
1: and how they've helped you i don't want to top that but i want i want to i want to add to that because sometimes you have to create confidence you know fake it till you make it right and i still believe that 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 a lot of people will say that's bollocks and, you know, you, you shouldn't do that. You should just, but you can't create experience. No one can turn up and get 30 years of sales experience like you have, right? But if you can impart some of that knowledge and get people absorbing it, they can they can have the same amount of, uh, of knowledge as you've got in a much shorter period than you took to accumulate it. And this is something that I, I heard this week, which was the knowledge gap is closing so much in our generation. Knowledge gap closed every 25 years. Today it's closing every 13 months, which means, you know, in another 13 months it's going to be closing every six months. Which means that people are accumulating so much information, so much knowledge. The problem is they don't know what to do with it, and it's too powerful. It's too powerful for most human beings. And the more knowledge they've got, the more time they're spent searching and looking for stuff, is because they're they're ending up in this place of nowhere, of living nowhere, either living in a poor past or a, or a worried future.
0: Well, that then points to um, a Buddhist, fundamental Buddhist belief, um, which is that attachment is the root to all misery. And attachment is about being stuck in the past or worrying about the future and not being fully present in the moment, accepting what is. And I, I think a lot of salespeople, a lot of leaders really need to read. First of all, they need to read and secondly, they need to read widely. Don't just obsess about business books. Um, one of the things that I've been gifted since I've got older is slightly dodgy eyesight. And so I get my eyes get very tired if I read print for too long. And so I've uh, developed an audio book habit. And I've listened to over 800 books in the last seven years. And I've listened to books about business and psychology and marketing and management and leadership. But I've also read about the mineral evolution of Earth, the history of China from uh, 3,000 BC to today. I've uh, read about ancient Egypt, I've read about Napoleon, I've read about World War II, I've read about special forces, snipers, and everything else, chemistry, quantum physics. And if you don't read widely, you lack range. And I think one of the most important skills that any leader can have is the ability to connect the dots. So you you must have you've obviously um, been exposed to thousands of people over the years. How has your range enabled you to uh, make it through this tough
1: time? But not just thousands of people, thousands of cultures, or hundreds of cultures as well, because our teams are made up of where the airlines are from. So if we if we look after Wizz Air, we have Polish, Hungarian, Romanian, Georgian, Russian, you know, or anywhere over the. Uh, over Eastern Europe and uh, you know so we have all these different languages in all of our offices and you know I, I like to pick up at least to say hello and how are you in whatever language it is but I just find that I just find it charming and then when you go to Singapore and I've got Filipinos, I've got Thai, I've got Malaysians, I've got Indonesians and it's it's a, it's a melting pot of of cultures of, you know, we have, you know, where, where people bring their local cuisines in. So we, we're we educating by by travel. You know, and that's what, you know, why do I love this business? It's because it's travel. And travel broadens the mind, broadens your horizon, broadens your knowledge. You know, all that stuff that you learn about China in the book, I learned by going to China and sitting there and, and you know, asking a question, then you get a, a bit of an education. Why is that wall built? Why you got the wall here? Why have you done this like that? And And you you know yes you can learn some of that stuff from books and one of the things i would i i want to caution people about is especially when they're young is they read too much they read too many things they get too much information and because they can't process that information they haven't got the ability to do it they're absorbing too much information and all they become is great readers they don't learn to take Nuggets from each book and work out what the best bit is and how I can make that work better for me. It's just like, yeah, I've done so much. It's like people who say, I've been to Tony Robbins seven times. I'm like, why? I mean, six Uh of those were a waste of time. If you didn't get anything from the first time, why do you keep going back? That's what he wants. He wants to suck you back in. But, you know, I went once and it was enough. So I do think that the, you know, if you think about when I started, Zig Ziglar came on a cassette. It arrived. I had 28 days to wait for it, and I was very excited when his southern drawl turned up. That's all I had. I didn't have podcasts. I didn't have audio books. I didn't have all this stuff. You know, I could. I hated reading. I couldn't. I couldn't concentrate. That wasn't how I consumed um, content. So today, I, you know, it's like, oh my god, it's like it's my birthday every single day. There's so much information out there, and I and I just worry that you know a lot. Of the a lot of the young People today are reading too much, learning too much, learning too fast, and not actually putting anything into practice. I concur with that.
0: I I would challenge you on the fact that people read too much, because my observation is that most people in sales certainly become functionally illiterate the minute they leave school, and they don't read anywhere near enough. But I take your point that it's the application of that knowledge that's valuable. It's not just the reading, but you have to implement it. And one of the best lessons I learned was if you learn something, teach it within 24 hours. And that I found incredibly useful. So I teach it either in person or I turn it into content. And I put it into the context of the world that I or my clients and prospects uh, occupy uh, so that I can put that into action. But uh, I'm with you 100%. I think you need to travel. You need to expose yourself to different cultures. So you know, when COVID is over, I suspect that the travel industry will go through a massive boom because people have been frustrated with their inability to travel. So help me understand this then. You've obviously operated in so many different cultures. And there is a massive room for faux pas along the way. What lesson would you teach people around being culturally aware and sensitive so that they don't screw up
1: on the first port of call? I had my ass handed to me in India, (laughs) in China, and in Russia. You know, I tried to do what we'd done, which had worked everywhere else in the world, and it didn't work there. You know, I remember saying to to a Mexican guy in Miami, in Atlanta, we were at the time, you know, just some. Nothing phrase, which is you know, come on, these guys are going to kick your ass today, and he took it very literally and walked out the door and said, I'm not working in this organization. And I went, okay, we're going to have to think about how we how we how we motivate people differently. But really, if you're a nice human being and you're kind and you do things from you know from the place of love, you know, with love in your heart, most people you can say anything you want and you can do anything you want because people understand where you're coming from. If your intentions are good and you do things properly, I really didn't have many, many issues. Some of the Americans thought I was a bit more passive aggressive. And I'm like, just think of the irony of that. When you call me passive aggressive, aren't you being passive aggressive back to me? And they think about it for a while and go, maybe. Um, There is language, you know, language is so important. And, you know, but again, as long as you're doing it with, with the right intentions I've maybe it's me. I've just got one of those faces that no one wants to slap and, um, I get away with it. You know, I, I've, I've been blessed to be surrounded by really good people over the years. I've got some great teams. I've got people who really care about the business. And there are some that say, you know, it's like one big family. You know, I I didn't pick my family. I, I got to pick these people. I got to pick this team. I got to nurture them and develop them and help them grow. And nothing makes me prouder when you know when I was in the states this week, and they all wanted to take me around to their homes and show me what they've amassed and what they've accumulated and what they've what I've helped or what the company has helped them build. And you know that you know that that's when I know I've had a good day. You know that's a genuine good day, not just a a day because we've sold something or not sold something. You know, it's a day where I feel like I've genuinely helped somebody.
0: That's nice. One of the themes that I've been building into the podcast over the last year is the subject of diversity. Now, you've obviously got a very, very diverse team that you've built up over the years, um, with multiple nationalities, ages, genders, uh, social classes, uh, socioeconomic uh, groupings. What advice would you give to someone starting out building a business around
1: diversity? And it's a really, really tricky issue today. I'm having to go to diversity classes, you know, with, within within the group. And I'm like, but this is what we've always done. This is how we've always been. We treated people as people, not as we've got quotas to fill. I want the best people coming in and help those people achieve it. Sometimes we'd hire people that nobody else would hire. So if everybody else was looking for that Oxford graduate, you know, we want the we want the kid that got chucked out of school, he's got more tattoos than he knows what to do with, and we're going to help him find find his... His passion in life, and so I've had I've had quite a lot of experience with that. It's a very sensitive subject, but you've got to make sure that everyone's got these weird biases of what they think is right or wrong, or what what the right person to do that job is. And you know, companies are going to going to do a lot of work just to be human again. Make sure that there's there there are there are more and more people in the world. I've just thought of something. You know, you asked me about my mentor, and and this this will give you a good example of how unhappy a world we live in. One of the people that really did inspire me early in my in my journey was Tony Shea. Tony Shea started Zappos, and and sadly he died last week. And uh, he wrote a book called Delivering Happiness. And I went to Zappos in Vegas. If you don't know the brand, you know it, it was sold to Amazon for for a billion dollars. It was an early one of the early things they bought. And Tony was just all about people and you know, he'd pay pay people to leave who didn't like the company. He'd say, Well, I'll give you some money, just go work somewhere else if you don't like it here. Um, and I learned a lot from that, from him, which is that, you know, you don't have to have quotas and restrictions. You can people can just do what you you can hire the right people, you'll find the right people, you'll attract the right people if you're doing the right things and sending the right messages. Because I think what what's going to be dangerous is if you put quotas in and you're going to have this many women on the board, this many, you know, African American people on in in like Nasdaq has just done now. They've said, you know, we, we won't delist you, but we'll we'll make it very clear that if you haven't got an African American or somebody from um, a minority group on the board or a woman on the board, therefore, you know, we're going to that's going to raise a red flag. Um, and I just think that you know. That, that 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 doesn't help the situation. That just makes, that's focusing on the wrong, that's, that's the tail wagging the dog.
0: I, I agree. And in fact, I, I've uh, had uh, a number of people on talking about this and that's a very common theme. It's not about quotas because I think quotas are uh, a way for wishy-washy liberals to try and signal to everybody just how woke they are. The reality though is that in my experience, if you end up recruiting in your own image, you tend to recruit people who are weaker than you. You end up in an echo chamber. And I think one of the toughest things uh, is to recruit people who will disagree with you. We introduced the uh, Tony Fays idea of offering people a month's salary to leave on day one And that's working really nicely as well, because it it sends a very clear message that you want the right kind of people. But I think what's really fascinating is when you have shared values and your intent is to build a great company where the employees benefit from being there, they are helped to achieve the outcomes in life that they want from their career that they have a voice. So in order to do that, you really have to be m- inclusive in your management and leadership style, which means that you don't punish people for having a different opinion. You encourage constructive conflict. And you need people with a diverse range of experience so that they can look at the problem through different lenses and get the real picture rather than simply seeing it through one lens. There's a wonderful example, cited in Matthew Syard's book, Rebel Ideas. And he talks about an experiment where you get an American audience and a Japanese audience, and you ask them to describe a fish tank. And the American audience describes the fish. The Japanese audience describes the, uh, the tank and the aesthetics of it. And then they talk about the fish. And I think what I'm finding in my dotage is that it's difficult work, but it's important that as leaders as managers as hiring managers as coaches we need to encourage diversity of thought diversity of background in order to get a much better outcome for ourselves but also more importantly for the customer and i think so often organisations are fixated on selling their product rather than recognising that people rent the outcome and they don't buy your product forever they only rent it for as long as it's delivering the outcome they need at that time. And in order to be able to stay ahead of the curve, you need different perspectives. You need a wide range of opinion. So uh, I'm curious how you've seen your competition, who haven't really adopted that inclusive approach, struggle
1: because of that. I don't even know if I have any real competition, not significant ones, in the magazine space, we had 30 airlines. Our nearest competitor had two, so you know we we were we were the sort of you know we were we were the the main player, as it were. And to be honest, I don't worry what anybody else is doing. I just focus on on what we're doing. There was the, the way we've pivoted the company this year, and I think it sort of it'll answer the question. Is people weren't flying, magazines weren't going on board, so we had to really look at how we could improve our digital positioning lots of stuff that we wanted to do over the last decade but airlines were like yeah we're making so much money we don't really care and we haven't got time to deal with all that stuff so this actually gave us an opportunity to really do a digital transformation so we built websites for all our airlines we put some tech in we bought we bought a, a small tech company we put this tech into the airlines that allowed us to be able to target passengers at every point of their journey when they're searching for a flight when they booked a flight when they're on the flight when they're in destination and that gave us an ability to go from just you know one-dimensional advertising to three or four dimensional advertising and that means when we come out of this we'll have the whole passenger journey, covered now there was there was two companies who'd spent probably a billion dollars between them building this technology and doing this for airlines and because of the change in gdpr a lot of their technology was null and void and and airlines didn't want to work with it and we came along and gave them a solution which you know it's like the guy builds the first golf course the guy builds this beautiful golf course runs out of money and someone else comes in and goes thanks very much now i'll put the trump name on it it and it's a world championship golf course so we, we, we've been quite clever in that respect and in, in terms of we looked at what everyone else had done, we watched them waste their money, and then we came in with a much cleaner solution. In November, we signed up seven airlines around the world, including some, you know, five of the biggest airlines in the world. So it's been fan, it's been fantastic transformation. And in order to do that, though, I need a different set of people because you know, it's a different different product set. And at the minute, I'm retraining people I've got, but I, I'm going to need to hire and acquire different talent. And I think that's that's what, you know, most chief executives are worried about today is that have I got the right people to do the job, on, you know, to, to run the business as it is right now? Because businesses are changing so much that John has been with you 20 years while well, he's an absolutely nice chap. He can't adapt to the new pace of business. He doesn't like working from home. He likes being in the office. He doesn't like this element of the job anymore. And I think that's, that's how we're going to change. And then you've got young kids who don't want to come into work, who don't want to work, who don't want to put the hours in, who want to have you know between Monday and Friday off. And then you know every now and again, they'll turn up and do some work. So it's such a changing environment. And you've got to be really nimble and agile to be able to survive it. What's been your best mistake? Well, my biggest mistake was was going too heavy into digital in two thousand twelve, betting the farm on it, and and very very close. You know, I had Deloitte's trying to switch the switch the lights off, and I'll never forget the words. They just come from Tesco's, where Tesco's had all that fraud in the uh, in the boardroom, and the same woman who was there reading bodies, reading body language, had been brought in to talk to me. <laughs> And she's sitting there trying to analyze my body language and trying to see where where I was coming from and what I was saying and how my tonality and my breathing and all these things. And I'm looking at her and I'm just laughing. She goes, I don't believe you could selfish this business. I don't believe you can turn it around. And I said, Do you know what? That is the biggest motivating sentence I've heard since my teacher told me I was useless. I said, So thank you very much. And the next five years, we doubled the profit, we doubled the turnover every year, and we and last year, 2019 our bottom line grew by 25%, which is not bad for a business that's been around 26 years.
0: Absolutely. Tell me this. You've got a golden ticket and you can go back and advise the idiot Simon, age 23. What choice bit of advice that you know he would have probably ignored would you give him?
1: Don't sell that house. (laughs) (laughs) I had a beautiful house in Hampstead that I sent the keys back to. It was only £90,000 in those days, and, uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> and that's probably, <laughs> probably worth about £5 million today. It's the same advice I give to the 23-year-olds who work here right now, which is use the experience of the people around you. Find people who know what you want to know and extract it from it, and extract it from them, because successful people are really happy to share. That's, that's one thing I really did learn this year, is that if you ask for help, especially from successful or, or people who are who genuinely have a mantra of, of supporting and helping people, they will help you. And um, it's a bit like the, the best salesman in the, in the company. We we tell this story every Christmas. When the guy wins the um, you know, Salesman of the Year Award every year, we keep going to him and saying, well, how come you keep winning it? And he says, well, everybody comes and asks me for advice. I tell them what they do, and then I work out why I have to do better so I can stay here and you know that's that's the art of of selling you know you can't just stay where you are because if you stay where you are you're going to get overtaken
0: there's a lovely parallel story which was when pilkington glass created unbreakable glass and there was one sales guy who just outsold everybody so at the annual sales kickoff they had him come up on stage and explain what he was doing and he said well it's really easy i just take six panes of glass and i pop them on the uh, the counter of these hardware shops, and I say, would you like to see an unbreakable glass? And they sort of raise their eyebrows, and I take out a ball hammer, and I smash it on the glass. They jump back, not even a scratch or a crack on it, and then they just put in an order. So uh, Pilkington then issued all the salespeople with ball hammers. And the following year, he comes back, having outsold the next highest salesperson by about a factor of 300%. How the hell did you do it? We gave everyone. All hammers and they, you know sales have gone through the roof, but you're still outperforming everybody. Oh, that's easy. I just gave them the hammer.
1: I say Gorilla Glass because it's a bit more current than Bilketon, but yeah, it's the same. It's the same story. But you have to you have to keep adapting because if you don't adapt, everybody else is going to catch up and and overtake you. And there's a lovely line which I've been using, especially during this period, which is you know finish the mouth, finish the mouthful that you've got in your mouth, because so many people are trying to take on way too much at the minute They're Trying to prove they're working really hard, and and I think I, I said this to you before, where while working from home is efficient, it's also breeding a lot of mental. No, I don't like that word. A lot of emotional well-being issues because people are working longer hours. They think they're working harder, but actually they're not. They're just spending more time sat down in front of a computer, proving, trying to prove to to their boss that they're doing a really, you know, they're doing everything they need to do, and. People are just getting burned out, you know. I'm getting people saying, I'm so exhausted." I'm like, "But you're sat at home doing nothing. You haven't even got to go on the train. You haven't had to think of anything. I think they've got to get dressed today." So I, I do think this is this is going to be an interesting time. I don't even think we're we're at the end of the first quarter yet. I think there's still a lot to come. Mm-hmm. You know, w- once the the furlough scheme stop and people start getting fired properly, um, there's there's going to be there's going to be a um, there's going to be challenges, and you know, as as AI gets more, you know, people want to to get computers and robots to do everything in, within their businesses. You know, where where are we as humans going to uh, going to end up? And if and if you're a white middle-aged man like I am, I, I'm a dinosaur, I, I'm a white middle-aged man who's in media, in magazines. You know, everything everything that I do is apparently, you know about to die. And I just think that that's that's a challenge that I have to deal with all the time. But I'm happy with who I am. I'm happy with what I've built. And I'm going to give as much opportunity to as many people as I can, wherever they come from, whatever they look like, one arm, two arms, three arms or four. And I'm going to make sure that this business doesn't fail. That despite taking the biggest direct hit it could have taken, that you know, 2021 will be a fantastic year for us, and I'm with you because I do believe that. Uh, I don't just believe; I can see now through through the technology how many searches and bookings are being made for for early 2021, and you know the prices are just going through the roof. It's exciting. It
0: is, and I think we're on the cusp of a renaissance. After the the Black Death, the renaissance happened, and I think we're on the cusp of another one. Crisis and pandemic and war and all of these horrible things force us to be our most creative. And I think what will happen with technology is as AI becomes more ubiquitous, people will start learning how to use it more effectively in the context of the human-to-human relationships. I think we'll see a massive increase in collaborative technologies because people have had a taste of working from home now. And they, you know, a lot of people like it. But you know, human beings tend to swing one extreme, then the other, and eventually we find the happy medium. And what, what I'm really excited by, I mean, the projects that I'm working on, because I'm one of these people who's never worked from home before, and I've taken to it like a duck to water. And I'm producing probably three times more than I ever have in my life. And it's the combination of you know 35 years of experience, together with all the time I put into building my network. And eventually developing a more grown-up abundance mentality. I really don't care if people steal my stuff now. In fact, I'm delighted that they do, because hopefully it's raising the game of people within the sales environment. And what's really striking me at the moment is the people that I'm working with, the sense of palpable optimism and creative flair that is coming up now, I've never experienced before in my career. And I'm working on so many really interesting industry changing projects. There is a danger that I might actually make a dent in the universe, and that's exciting i've n- I've never been this
1: motivated or excited in my career. And I think you can probably look back on this year and say, "This wasn't a bad year. you know no, it's the... been
0: my best year ever
1: and And you know. Even I can say that, I probably can say that because of the things that things I experienced and the places I've been, I wouldn't have had the opportunities. I wouldn't have had the opportunities that, that the business has afforded itself, even though right now it looks bleak and horrible and, and the cash is depleted. But I think going forward, the light at the end of the tunnel is a light, not a train. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think
0: constraint is a very powerful creative force. I did a stand-up course a, a couple of summers ago. It wasn't very good. But what I really enjoyed about it was learning how important constraint was and what you take out of a joke makes it much funnier than what you put into it. And I, I think the same thing goes you know, with everything that we do. You know, do less but better on purpose. Find the most effective way. And don't sacrifice effectiveness for efficiency. That's not the idea. The idea is that you find the most effective way of solving a problem, of delivering the outcome. And what I'm really excited about is that because we are so constrained at the moment, it's forcing us to be incredibly creative. And that, I think, is my lesson from 2020, which is that the more you're constrained, the more pressure you're under, the more important it is to take stock to reflect and think really uh, proactively. But also, the other big lesson I've learned, and uh, my my huge takeaway, is your ability to collaborate will determine your success in the future. And I have learned so much. I mean, you know, I'm so grateful for my guests, you included on the podcast, because I've had 250 hours so far of the best training in the world, uh, which I've then been able to implement. And that is priceless. And net result is that I'm now working a number of uh, different partner channels. I'm uh, collaborating. I'm being invited onto boards. And I've never, I, I never really saw myself uh, like that in the past. Uh, I always thought of myself as you know much smaller than I am. For those of you who can see a, photo, a picture of me, that's not small. But yeah, you know, mentally, I always thought of myself as far more constrained. I'm genuinely feeling that the opportunities out there are bigger, brighter, more exciting than ever.
1: I'll just add to that. You know, I listened to many of the editions and I got so much from from just listening to you talk to guests. And, you know, sometimes I threw the phone at the wall in in anger. And other times I was sitting using it to to type up copious amounts of notes. So it's a brilliant conversation and um, I'm proud to be part of it. And like, like I said, we learn from everybody. Anybody that says, you you know, I, I learned from my kids, I learned from, you know, I learn from watching babies and how they learn to get up and walk and the resilience of them bouncing back and there is nobody or no situation that you can't learn from. And, you know, if you if you live with your eyes wide open, there's a lot you can see. Absolutely. So Simon, tell me uh, what, what books or
0: other form of content have you found really inspirational that you'd recommend
1: to others a lot of the stoic stuff and my favorite book was the go-giver bob berg bob was helpful He, he you know he gave me a good talking to during during the process as well and i guess that sums up the people and their and their real story and i can tell you two or three stories about this you know i asked about 50 people and three people said no one was ray dalio you know, he was too busy, but he but he gave me the courtesy of a response. Seth Godin said, yeah, I'll do it for $30,000. And Simon Sinek said, no, about 25 times. Because Simon, I know, and he's been into my office and, you know, he knows the culture I'm doing. And I, I was a bit disappointed in him. But, you know, he said, I've got my own problems to deal with. Fair but it's Bob Berger and I reached out to him. He said, yeah, no problem. How can I help you? And I think, you know, if, you're, if your mantra and your brand is, you know, give, 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 help, help, help. And then when you ask for it, someone goes, "Well, I'm a bit too busy to help you, um, and I've got my own problems to deal with." You know, people have been reaching out and asking me for advice and help during this, and I've just said, "No problem, whatever I can do." When just phone me. The thing that frustrates me the most is is the LinkedIn outreach. I mean, we did that's another podcast for a whole for a whole day. It's how people reach how re- people reach out and communicate with you, and think that you know they're the only person in the world using LinkedIn for outreach. But you know that book was a great book. I also went back to read *Man's Search for Meaning* because I just thought yeah. that that was a, that that helped bit me a little bit. Yeah. Those are the subjects, and and obviously *The Road Less Stupid* was my bible during this period. And uh,
0: absolutely, if if you have not read *The Road Less Stupid* by Keith Cunningham, and you want to take control and be fully present, it is one of my top five recommends of all the eight hundred books I've read in the last seven years. And Viktor Frankl is right up there as well. One that I would urge everybody to read, and I've mentioned it dozens and dozens of times, is Just Listen by Mark Gulston. And I would also recommend Essentialism by Greg McKeown, which is all about doing less but better on purpose. And uh, on the Stoics, the books by Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy, The Obstacle is the Way, and Stillness is the Key, make the Stoic philosophy very, very accessible to the modern age. So, that's, Simon, a, that's on my bedside table waiting for me to read. <laughs> Excellent. Simon, thank you so much. This has been really insightful and thoroughly enjoyable.
1: Thank you very much indeed. I think we need a part two, though.
0: Uh, I'm uh, absolutely with you. I was going to ask if you'd be willing to come back. So, I, I'll take that as a yes. So, Simon, how can people get hold of you?
1: Inc is is the company website. And, you know, if you run a business, and you're not using travel media. That's something you should definitely have a look at. Our, at what we do. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. I've, I write lots of stuff. I moan lots of things. I moan a lot at governments, and uh, and I and I use that as my platform to spread my message. And as I said earlier, you know, when people, I don't realise how far that message goes. And it is it's a free platform for all of us. And I think I think people are not using it well enough. I'm with you
0: on that. I think the use of LinkedIn is disappointingly poor. Again, another useful book, very powerful, is LinkedIn Inbound by Sam Raffling. She's got some great content, and she runs the LinkedIn Bound Academy, which teaches people how to use it very effectively. I wrote the foreword to the book, so I'm a big fan. But okay, so Simon, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. This is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful, insightful, inspirational, then please do get in touch. My email is marcus-last.com. at laughs-last If you want to contact me through LinkedIn, you're very welcome to. And if you think you'd be a good guest or you know someone who would be, then please do reach out and connect either via email or direct message. And if you think you know someone who would be a good guest, then do please connect us via LinkedIn and I'll endeavor to get them on as a guest. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.